Look, it's a flood. It's a flood. It's flooding. Get away. Quick, we need to get to higher ground. Open the floodgates. You take a sound, any sound, record it, and then change its nature by multiplicity of operations. You record it at different speeds, you play it backwards, you add it to itself over and over again. You adjust filters, echoes, acoustic qualities. You combine segments of magnetic tape. By these means and many others, you can create sounds which no one has ever heard before. So at what point did you stop feeling like Blue's Clues was entertaining? When Steve left. When Steve left, Joe just kind of killed it for you? <laughs> I won't say I'm a huge, like, traditionalist or anything like that. I feel like that's not the... What do you call a person who likes to restore cars back to, like... A restorationist? Yeah. No, that doesn't feel right either. I don't know. I felt like when Steve left, it was my time, right? <laughs> that felt like a signal. You know what I mean? Like it's like we're done Steve's here. going off to college. I'm going off to middle school. school. Yeah, I don't need to watch. Although I was just telling my son the other day Hi. that I watched a couple of Nick Jr. shows well into like eighth grade. I feel like yo, Franklin's a turtle is lit. Lil Bill. Um, oh, yeah, Lil Bill. Gullah Gullah Island. Look, I told you, I was a big Nick head. Kids TV sucks nowadays. Like, I genuinely and truly feel like outside of, I guess, experimental shit that, like, Netflix is trying. Like, yeah. kids TV sucks nowadays. You know, it's funny. Like, a show like Big Mouth, it's, like, it's supposed to be... A mature. That's an adult but show but about children. Yeah, but it's, that's so. Big Mouth is the Zoomers generation South Park for us, where every parent was like, "You can't watch South Park." Yeah, I would say it's more like their Family Guy. I don't think they quite have a South Park yet. Like South Park is satirical to like a god tier level. That is why it hasn't been like dethroned or. Big Mouth, I feel like the whole controversy behind that show was it's a show about kids for adults, which sounds weird when you say it out loud. And then you just have to remind yourself, shonen anime. Well, yeah, you could talk about the whole high school, like, peak sexuality trope and how that's still kind of the thing here in America, right? Like, look at Euphoria. Euph I mean, let's, let's take shonen for a second. Like, all of the shonen, well, like, shonen anime, when we were younger, was like, all right, we just totally relate to this, right? Now, as the shonen genre and this generation has evolved, you have the shonen main character who's usually, like, the teenager, right? That's but you the, have the, the expanding ensemble right. adult cast. The team, right. The, so he's like, got, my like, hero now has the entire faculty that are a, a relevant group? characters for older shonen fans to right. relate to. I guess that, but even then they had it when we were growing up, right? It was always the teenager who could own all of the adults still needs to be taught, like, techniques and discipline from the adults. Even the villains, right? Like, they yeah. all teach the heroes something. That's kind of one of the things I always loved about anime versus, like, American cartoons. Um, was their approach to teaching you morals and it was it felt less heavy handed than it felt less western you say heavy handed it felt less heavy handed um, I feel like they didn't have to shoehorn in the like the way G.I. Joe did right at the end of the episode it's like and now I have to tell you if you didn't learn something today Billy then you're fucking up <laughs> the more you know. The more you know! Right? Like, when an anime character learns something, like, you learn it with them. Well, right? I mean, we also both know that G.I. Joe was created just as military propaganda, essentially. Well, I mean... The, and even, to sell toys. Even when it goes beyond that, though, right? Like, we're talking about, like, Gone learning how to be a better, like, person versus, like, G.I. Joe coming and 
saving the cat from the tree and telling the kids that throwing rocks at the cat was not a way to get the cat down from the tree, right? Yeah. Like The funny thing is, is I watched a video about Gon, where Gon doesn't really believe in right and wrong. He just believes in good and bad. So even if he's like in a room with a serial killer, if the serial killer can teach him something of value, he's going to see them more as good. That kind of gets to my point, though, right? Is that anime finds a way to... Or I'll take it one step further. Japanese storytelling finds a way to deal with those kind of moral issues for kids in a way that kids can digest, right? It's a Um, unique form of storytelling, you say. Well... Listen, we well, all, I mean, all know right. your paper, right? All right, so um, let's let's just say this. All right, I am interviewing Mr. Devon Cannon. Hello, that is me. We I have am Devon Cannon. We've known each other for a very long time, and we have absolutely we we do not make projects together whatsoever. Certainly not on a weekly basis. No, not at all. Takes yeah, that's cap. cap. That's cap. <laughs> That's Cap. So, this is Doc. This is my co-host uh, from The Flood with Doc and Ziggy. We actually are a media podcast professor. Would you call it a weekly pop culture digest? Yeah, it's like we kind of bring our pop perspective in, put the culture in context, and, and make the mainstream make sense. So, when it comes to our engaging with media, uh, one of the things that our podcast I believe has a lot of strength in is because we are a black dude and a white dude we get to talk about pretty much anything candidly and we both learned a lot from each other over this past two years we cover a wide spectrum of perspective clearly Um, anime we cover tv sports but one of the things we're going to talk about and we said the most fascinating thing about the Chris Rock Will Smith slap is not the slap or the media, but it's actually the meta media coverage. Yes, it is the takes that are being had over the slap, right? There were initially people were coming to Chris Rock's defense saying that it was a joke and Will shouldn't have gotten offended. And then what really surprised me was the out of nowhere take about it being related to black women's hair. And um, I don't know if you know this, but Chris Rock made a whole documentary called, uh, I think it's called Good Booty Hair. Haha, <laughs> no, it's called Good Hair, and it's about black women's hair. And it's about, like, the perspective that black women's hair is seen with in American media and, and in the American professional space. So it was ironic to people at first that this is the joke that would get Chris Rock slapped in his mouth on stage. Considering Chris Rock historically the past couple of years has been like going in on the Smiths and it's fandom. I feel like they've been idolized to an extent uh, that Jada is just trying to tear down with every chance she gets, but that's a personal opinion of mine. She just Um, wants to be the toxic celebrity. I don't know if that's exactly what her motive is, right? I see a very unhappy woman for reasons that I don't know if she keeps telling us or um, that she's just dealing with personally. It seems to me that there, I don't know, anytime, anytime you hold such a high position in Hollywood that you're willing to risk over one joke, right? Mm-hmm. One joke. Will had everything to lose there. Not Chris, not Jada. Will did. And Will looks like he is losing just about everything that he risked to look like a man on stage, right? And defend Which then his led lady. to all of the other narratives of toxic masculinity. Is Jada able to stand up for herself? Jada should be able to stand up for herself. Well, that's what I'm saying. The, the discussion around this slap has done nothing but prompted everybody to make sure they watch the Oscars next year which is exactly what they wanted. So deep down inside, I also kind of wonder how much money they paid Will Smith and Chris Rock to let this happen. Mm, Hot take. Oscars are gonna bring in Jerry Bruckheimer and he's just gonna be like, all right, we need to find one way to fuck this up. Don't think they have to do that at this point, right? It's another publicity stunt, right? Like they couldn't have, was it the Grammys 
where the wrong no it was the oscars right where they yeah, jimmy kimmel yeah fucked up the announcement right well they gave him the wrong thing and like also like jimmy kimmel is probably like one of the perfect celebrities to put in that situation because he's so good at handling awkward situations like what other what who other celebrities in that situation would be able to handle mm. personally chris rock i mean i think i mean i think he did a great job at getting slapped in the mouth on stage which means i think he could handle the wrong movie being well, absolutely no, this nigga would have been like, I didn't. Listen, y'all saw them hand me the envelope. Don't act like I pulled this one out. The reason we're here today, right, is because you wanted to discuss my relationship with media. Let's just do, we'll start with an easy question. What made you want to start a podcast? That's a good question. I had been watching YouTube for a while, way before I was listening to podcasts right i was watching youtube and i was watching like text to speech youtube mm-hmm. right like back before there was all that money floating around and all these big names and stuff like that yeah you know back when the big names were just doing grunt work and shit yeah i you, I, I was exposed to youtube while i was in and it always seemed like a fun thing this, this to do. This was the Wild West, no advertisements YouTube. Yeah, it always seemed like a fun thing to me because I had always been interested in like acting and filmmaking and media and stuff like that. When I finally got the infrastructure and the time, I started trying to plan my own YouTube show. Unfortunately, the I more had the infrastructure than I had the time. Um, raising a kid and working two jobs doesn't really leave a whole lot of room for mm-hmm. recording video. When I bought my house in 2019, I quit my second job. That's when you came over for the housewarming party. Yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to you about, you know, the idea of doing a podcast because it's very simple editing-wise, right? And it doesn't require a whole lot of time when it comes to resources oh there's so, the funny thing is, is how much time and energy and editing that i go into doing now well then don't get me started now that we've expanded onto the video and all of that like this is the energy and the uh the level that we want to do but yeah like i just came over for the housewarming party and you were like i want to start a podcast and at the same yeah. time i was listening to a lot of podcasts and i'm like i could do this one of the most interesting things that you actually said to me, I don't know if it was on record, I don't think it was on recording, but you were telling me that you would go into all of these deep dive videos and basically like pre-QAnon. Yeah. Yeah, and then you at a certain point were just like, wait a second, every video I'm watching is blonde haired, blue eyed, white dudes. Oh, we're that's specifically talking about aliens, right? Like when you get into the whole like Yeah, no, when you get into the whole galactic force stuff and all of that, it's always, like, tall, blonde, blue-eyed people. And I was like, after a certain point, you watch so many of those videos, and you're like, hey, yo, how come none of the aliens look like me? (laughs) Not one. Not one video did I watch where they were like, oh, no, the aliens are actually black folks. How would you have felt about that, though? That's actually, hold on, no, because that's a lie. Because I did find one video, right? Like, it was like a compilation of people saying, but it was after, like, it was after stumbling onto what is colloquially known as the onk side of YouTube, where it was oh, like, you fight like and, and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's wearing onk earrings. I have an aunt tattooed on my arm. That's not the point. The, the point is... Well, you also have Nefertiti tattooed on your back. Right. The point is, it took me going into black conspiracy side of YouTube in order for me to find videos about black aliens. You've always been like Huey Freeman mixed with Riley, but always a little bit more Huey Freeman. I don't even know if I would put myself in that category, right? Like, I am proud of my culture and the contributions it has made to the modern world as we experience it today. 
Now, it's... You also see that the system can be screwed up at times, and you've told me before that your biggest hero is none other than Fred Hampton, rest in peace. Fred Hampton is the only person I would, like, call a hero of mine. Because that is, uh, to me, that's a lofty term, right? Like, speaking Mm -hmm. about the media that we've grown up with, we've seen the uh, criteria for what it takes to qualify as a hero, right? All the way from the Power Rangers up to Hercules, right? From Goku to Captain America, from Jesus... To Batman. To Batman, (laughs) right? Um, It takes a high moral standing, and I think it's a huge injustice, uh, especially considering the, the social climate now, right? To call somebody a hero, it's a lofty... It's a lofty thing to manage, calling somebody a hero. And the reason why I feel comfortable calling Fred Hampton a hero is because to this day, even with the smear campaign that uh, the Chicago Police Department and the CIA and the FBI, or the FBI uh, tried to run on him. And it's confirmed. I mean, like, he was assassinated by the, the Chicago Police the Chicago Department. Police Department. Um, and the In his sleep. They can't smear that man. I feel like he is somebody who lives up to the, and not one of the only people, but I feel like he is definitely a person who really walked it how he talked it, right? Like Fred Hampton, the only thing he did was smoke cigarettes and drink coffee, right? Now, here's where I And I feel like the movie even over, I, I, I don't know, you know, because Ryan, uh, who was the director by? Ryan Coogler and them? Uh, what? Black, or uh, Jesus and the Black Messiah? Yeah. That was a Spike Lee jump. Oh, was it Spike yeah. Lee? Well, I'm sure Spike Lee that was a Spike did Lee his jump. research and Daniel Kaluuya did their research on to how much Fred Hampton smoked cigarettes, but I felt like it was a bit heavy-handed because that's how inhuman it seems to be that perfect right like for a man who didn't drink he didn't smoke weed and all that stuff because he wanted to remain coherent he wanted to make sure that the government couldn't say oh he was uh, intoxicated so that's why we had to deal with him right like for them to overemphasize how much he smoked cigarettes is part of the reason why i say fred hampton is a hero Right, because they, they had, had nothing to, else. They had to humanize him some kind of way. How can somebody be that dedicated to a task? Right? But we believe it when it comes to villains. We believe it when it comes to anti heroes. Um, so let me pull one from a far less socially like structurally important from my delegation. Cobain. Kurt Cobain died at 27, where he was still at, like, the height of Nirvana's popularity. But you know, at that point, brain... Nirvana could ever, like, Kurt Cobain could never have his fall. Like, right. just like Fred Hampton, still, rest in peace, great person, never had his chance to fall. Right, I mean, you know, and that's why I feel like it's okay to... Especially in Fred Hampton's case, because when you dig into his past, there's not a whole lot of, like, sketchy shit in there, right? That would make you go, oh, maybe we shouldn't be idolizing this guy the way we do now, right? Like, so many quote-unquote heroes have been taken and examined under the knife and, like, had the, the, the curtains pulled back on who they really are, right? Like, fucking take... Elvis, right? Like, it's wildly... You can't talk about Elvis, the king of rock and roll now, without mentioning the fact that he met Priscilla when she was 14. Right? Like I was talking to my brother. He said there was actually three kings of rock and roll. Chuck Elvis, Barry. Chuck Berry, and Lil Richard. Uh, I feel like... Jimi Hendrix played backup for Lil Richard. Is it Moms Mabley? I can't... And Jerry Lee Lewis! No, there's a woman that we are leaving out, and I cannot remember what her name is right now to save my life. But she came out even before Chuck Berry did. Black woman? Yep. Going back to like 1920s black artists, I don't know too many. 
Um, like, I know the one that I, when I think of like early 1920s black music, I think of Etta James at last. And then the other one I know mostly just because of his legend is Robert Johnson. You don't say! Oh my god, 10 black women in rock and roll. If Jada Pickett Smith is on this list. I'm gonna be mad as fuck. Me too. Um, no, this is a modern day list. Oh, the chances of Jada Pickett just increase. Stop scrolling. I don't want to see it. Oh, is it Big Mama Thornton? I think it is Big Mama Thornton I was thinking about. I mean, this feels like rock. Like, this music feels like rock to me. This is a little bit more big jazz band. But. Yeah, no, I think it was Big Mama Thornton I was thinking about. That's why I was mad when my Mac died, dude, because I had, like, so much archived on there. It's not even funny. Dee Dee has been very good. She's trying. She's been very good. good. Right, here's another one. After the first question of, well, I mean, like, maybe like the second or third question. Uh, we do this a lot, Professor. 1A. <laughs> what made you feel like I was a good co-host for you? Um, I think that touches back on your point earlier. Uh, when trying to do a pop culture digest, I wanted to make sure that I was able to cover a wide array of pop culture, right? Like, not just black culture, but I wanted, you know, white culture, Asian culture, like the entire spectrum, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so we could look at the overall macro image and what it meant for American culture, if not global culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, taking things like Scarlett Johansson's approach to Black Widow and tying it into the Me Too movement and, uh, or, you know, you know, Miss Marvel and Wonder Woman yeah. and seeing all of these new female characters taking the lead and how that coincides with, you know, the Me Too movement and women making their mark and being seen as equals as well as just you know you it, it being so ingrained in like rock music and americana and all of that yeah it felt like you would be the perfect counterbalance to all of the like hip-hop archival knowledge that i have stored and I use hip-hop archival as a shorthand for black American culture, but that is extremely, um, like, reductive. Yeah. And we knew that we had, like, a lot of, we still, we have, like, a Venn diagram of knowledge. That, yes. And we figured this out when we used to work overnights at CBS. We would work, what, 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 what was the shift? 11 to 7? 10 to 6? It was, like, 10 to 7. I yeah, it was something wild. So we would just have like a total of like four people walk in all night and we just put like our, this is 2012. So we would just put one of our phones inside like a candy bucket to use yeah. as a speaker. <laughs> that was before they got the tall tower speakers that we could hook. God, and that was before phones, dude. I was bringing my iPod in for that. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that and was we before would talk, we would talk music, conspiracies, and eventually we like we find this common ground, and like the real common ground between the two of us is our curiosity. I would say that, and I would say it was our love for uh, a pop culture Americana. No, we both had a curiosity to figure out what the real identity of this country. BRB. All right, rapid fire questions. Ready? 
ready. Favorite rapper? Tupac. Why? The overall objective of his storytelling. Favorite movie? Belly. Who stars in Belly? DMX. Nas. Uh, Method Man. T. Boz. Uh, shot by John Singleton. Directed and shot by John Singleton. And that's the reason why I love the movie. Um, I mean, the storyline is, you know, good for what it was. The acting is okay for what you would expect from rappers. But the way the movie is shot, the cinematography is A1. Great. Celebrity crush. Celebrity crush. Ooh, that's difficult. Um, at the moment... Mm. I don't really have one at I was going to say, pick one and then tell me what role made you be like, all right, Celebrity Crush. I don't really have Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie? Yeah. Please tell me it wasn't Harley. No, it was probably Wolf of Wall Street, but that feels a little, like, misogynist, too. Oh, no. We're you all know about women it, empowerment here. No, you know what it really was, though? Was I, Tanya. I think that's when I was really like, oh, okay, Margot. Oh, all right, all right, Margo. I've always had a, and I, I can't really explain why. You might have seen it, but I've always actually always had a, a soft spot for Tina Fey. Yeah, no, I like funny women. Funny too, women are great. Which feels misogynistic to say, but maybe I'm overcorrected. But I mean, like, girls also like I like funny guys. Yeah, not all so, of us are funny. That's fair. So we we've, we've been joking around about a couple of stand-up things. One of the ones that I tossed around was like, look. Dating sucks. If you think I'm not attractive enough, just tell me. If you can't make time, just tell me. If you don't think I'm funny, lie. I can't handle that right yeah. now. <laughs> Yo, okay, so you got another question for me? Favorite symbol used in a piece of media? That's so vague. Uh, favorite symbol used in a piece of media? Or theme. How about this, we'll go, we'll go with so you know I have the theory that all stories really come from history, the Bible, Greek theater, mythology, and Shakespeare, right? So the mainstream version of that is what? everything is either Shakespeare or the Bible, right? <laughs> Do you have a favorite skeletal story? I mean, like, like Lion King is Hamlet with animals. I've been getting, I like the mythologies, right? Like, I Greek mythology was always a big favorite of mine. I've really been getting into Norse mythology lately with the God of War series taking the approach. I didn't really care about it before, right? Because it just kind of seemed like another, like, generic version yeah. of Greek mythology. All right, so here's a good question. How do you feel with an infant? <laughs> Now, clearly, you use music to try to soothe her when she goes to sleep. You have TV that, you know, you put on in front of her. She actually prefers white noises. Um, she really likes running water, like uh, waterfalls or, like, beach waves and stuff mm -hmm. like that. How do you think your access and ability to utilize the media has affected your approach to parenting not only with Edie, but with death i don't know i feel like i it i don't know it feels almost corny to say that i feel different than most people but i really paid attention to a lot of the moral lessons and stuff that were being taught in the media that we were watching like i always felt like if somebody's gonna take the time tell the story that I should pay attention to the story they are telling. Yeah, I mean like when Dee Dee was like two weeks old I had her watch Shaft with me, so <laughs> you walked in and you're like, are you having my baby watch Shaft? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, yes I have. No, I mean this goes back to what I was talking about earlier though, right? Like, cause I was a latchkey kid, so you know, I spent a lot of time watching TV and waiting heard, for yeah. my mom to come home. That's um, part of the reason we have this podcast is cause We've been so indoctrinated in the pop culture. I think the amount of media and the kind of media that you choose to consume, though, does matter. I'm not one of those people that thinks violent video games make kids violent, but 
I do believe that you probably have a tendency to lean towards aggression if all you do is play violent video games. Yeah. Right? Like, so it's Not made, causation, but correlation. Right. It's made me a bit more aware of and trying to be present in what my kids are consuming. Right? That's like I was telling you about earlier. Me and my son were watching a YouTube video together. And uh, in the YouTube video the creator that we were watching was mentioning some of the TikTokers that he follows and he, you know, let me, you know, he made me aware of the fact that those were TikTokers that he followed. So I went and I watched the TikTokers that he's following, right? Because I want to know what my son is looking at. One, because I do think my son has some decent taste. And then two, because I feel like you should totally, as a parent, right? It is up to you to not necessarily control what your kids are watching, but guide them. Parental guidance. Like for right? us, like for our generation, eventually Grand Theft Auto was on a board. So, perfect example of this, right? We had a discussion just recently about a YouTuber who I do not want my son watching. Right. Now, we are both fans of rage quitters, right? And there are specifically uh, YouTubers who are watched for their freakouts and their their outrageous, like, rage quits. I happened to stumble upon one the other day, though, who I do not care for like in the slightest bit and i found out that my son was watching this person now okay so you haven't told me about this no and this was completely like separate from each other right like these two these two incidences were not connected in any way des just so happened to be watching this youtuber i saw a breakdown on this guy and went and watched some of his videos on my own and when i found out that des was also watching him I let Desmond know in a non-aggressive way, right? I did not approach him like he did something wrong because he had no idea. We've all, I mean, come on, right? We were watching Jackass when we were too young to be watching Jackass. That Dude, we had Newgrounds. The, right, so my point here is, is I didn't approach him like he was in the wrong. But I let him know that I had seen some things from this YouTuber that I did not feel were appropriate for, or was appropriate, excuse me, for his age Can you give us some SFW examples? I can tell you straight up that he threatened to rape a uh, All right, that's it. IG we're model. Good. We're good. Yeah. We're good. That's it. In what was supposed to be a satirical, like, kind nope, of... that's edgelord. Yeah, that's exactly. Edgelord behavior. And after I saw that, I was like, no, I don't want you watching this guy. I just want to say there is a distinct difference between edgelord and punk rock. Very distinct difference. And that's punk rockers aren't dickheads. I just, you know, I feel like that is part of the reason why it is important to pay attention to what your kids are watching, right? But not just, uh, in a sense, to tell them what not to watch and what to watch. Because, like I said, we were watching YouTube together the other day. Yeah. And um, media, the media that we consume is part of how we connect with the younger generation, right? It's how our parents connected with us. And it's how they're, like, the storytelling aspect. connecting with us. Right. Well, that's part of it, right? Like, if you're not into what your parents are into, then it's kind of hard to find those connections with your parents. I was able to do that with my dad over basketball, baseball, and some music. Um, it's extremely hard with my mom. I will say that I get my taste in, like, aesthetics and like how to design i personally feel like it's a disservice to your children to not make an attempt to be interested in the media that they are or at least attempt to watch you don't have to be interested in it i'm sure my mother wasn't interested 
in Pokemon when she saw us watching it on the TV. I right? will tell you two things. My dad went to be went with me to the Yu-Gi-Oh movie. <laughs> he also and this this wasn't even that long ago. My this dad like, took me to see South Park when this I was, was like, like eleven. Five so. years ago, not even. He went with me to Boston to go see the Final Fantasy Symphony Orchestra. Wow. Okay, well hold on. Hold time. Symphony orchestra are the key words. There. Yes, that's the thing. I was like, Dad, has he been Andrew. with you to a Strokes concert? Uh, he's been with me to a Smashing Pumpkins concert. Okay, okay, all right, all right. So Dad's got at least a little bit more going than Mom does. Yeah. Do you think Mom would go with you to a Strokes concert? I don't think Mom would approve of anything the Strokes sing, <laughs> or understand that it's metaphorical. Especially not the songs about heroin, right? Well, like, no, 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 the Strokes don't talk about heroin. However, I mean, like, they drink a lot of beer and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> so, yeah, you know how I told you I think the Strokes are the epitome of cool? <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like... Like, if you watch a Strokes video, you're like, God damn, these guys are so cool. Classic Americano, like, right? Like, they feel cool in the sense that, like, uh, 80s teen movies used to feel cool. Yeah, like, I think they would be cool in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Like, they, their aesthetic finds a way to blend in to I don't every know one about of those decades. now, though. Now the Zoomers are on some weird shit. Like, white culture has taken a really weird turn, right? Where it's, it's not quite appropriating as much as it's trying to... Knock on the door, can you let us in? Yeah, I just feel like... I don't know, the identity of white Zoomers feels very melting pot. So, and I say that in a good way, right? Like, this is essentially what they've been telling us the country is for the last 50 to 70 years, right? Would you say Zoomers have a lot more music taste in common than millennials? Like, you and I, yes. we have no, our overlap absolutely. of music. Yeah. But at the same time, I could tell you about, like, you know, King Crimson or Russian Circles or anti-flag or i mean them you probably have heard of and i'm introducing you to new genres every day right whether it be i was gonna say vaporwave uh vapor funk funk i'm wearing a dreamville shirt and you sent me a dreamville mixtape right uh soundcloud rap our uncomfortable unapologetic love for tory lanes man he just I literally just found a song with him and this Indian dude today, and I'm like... We're like, God, he shouldn't have shot Meg the Stallion in the feet, but, but God, the music slaps. Listen, see, this is what we're talking about earlier when we were talking about idolizing people, right? Like, idolizing people is a terrible injustice to the identity of some of our favorite creators, right? Like, they're not meant to be worshipped, they're trying to be understood. Yeah. And I feel like we end up worshiping people we try to understand way too often before we actually understand what it is we're worshiping. I feel like something Dave Chappelle would say. However, we're both big students of Chappelle, so. I, well, but that's, see, I was getting ready to say that gets into a point with Chappelle, right? Like, I feel like he's at a point now where he is being worshiped instead of being understood when what he really wants to be is understood. He didn't make those three other stand-up specials because he wanted to take down transgenders and PC culture. He was trying to be understood. He was like, he, he felt like he had to clarify his previous show. Yeah, and he spent three specials doing it, right? And people who are so eager for the contradiction to PC culture, right, are worshiping him for all the wrong reasons, right? Like, Dave, I honestly will feel like will go down as this martyr for um, politically incorrect humor when that's not what he was trying to be. Yeah. Right? But anyway, I meant to say that uh, I had a realization earlier this week that the strokes are not my definition of cool. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I had a, a memory flashback from when I was like six or seven years old, right? Mm. I'm at summer camp. My friend Hugo shows up with two new shoes from different pairs. 
wearing two different pairs of shoes. A left one from one pair and a right one from another one. And I looked at him and I was like, why are you wearing two different shoes? And he goes, because I like them both. This is the coolest motherfucker I've ever met on, my, on the planet. So let's talk about that for a minute. Where do you get your definition of cool from? Right, because I feel like that's something that drives American culture more so than a lot of different things, right? Like, what is cool to you is ultimately what you end up caring about. So, I guess... And I would say that that's something that is specifically unique to American culture that is affecting or affecting the rest of the world. Right? It's affecting. Yeah, affecting the rest of the world. It's affecting the rest of the world, causing effects. Yes. Yes. Very easy word to get confused for that. I, yeah, I, I'm handling a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't think. For that, for that question, that's a good question. So I feel like I can't really say in a word what makes that cool. I kind of just have to like break down the situation. What was, so that was the earliest thing, the earliest moment you could think of that made Where I'm just like, it. that guy's fucking cool. Awesome. Right. That guy's cool as shit. Okay. And Hugo was, was the man. Like, like, he didn't care, but the way that he didn't care seemed sincere in the way that he didn't care. And and not in the apathetic kind of way, right. but the I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And it was a confidence thing. Like, he didn't even, like, like, he didn't even say anybody else. He's like, look at my two different pairs of shoes. He was just wearing two different pairs of shoes. Yo, this dude is awesome. It wasn't a piece of media that you would say defined your sense of cool? How early was Actually, that? I would say that it, the fashion is a sense of media. Well, yeah, because especially growing up during the 90s, right? Like I Everybody, when they go to school, would wear like a jersey or a t-shirt that represents something, especially when they like go from elementary to middle or well, middle to high. Well, think about the TV shows back then, right? Like the character designs and some of the sitcoms that we watched were wild. People would be wearing like visor hats and like snow goggles on top of their visor hats with spiky blonde hair and like... Let alone what Will Smith would wear in Fresh Prince. The, listen, ripped jeans and stuff like that. I remember, like, think about, like, Punky Brewster coming out of the 80s, like, kids with all those, like, pogs, and, like, this is my, people used to wear their identity on their bodies I don't even think 90s. it's a used to. I still think they do. You think they do now? I, I mean, think, because I think you what think you Zoomers wear are wearing on their, a... You think Zoomers are wearing their identity? Even if it's ironically so, yes. I think they do it more so for camaraderie's sake. Like, I'm wearing this so I fit in with this group. I feel like Zoomers are way more clicked up now than we used to be, right? Like, even in, even with the 90s clicked up tropes, because, like, that's where, like... I mean, we also, we talked about the distinct difference between early aughts, black culture, and white culture. Like, there still was distinct white well, culture with, yes. like... Warped Tour and Sum 41 and all but that. But that, see, but that's, okay, so back to my point earlier, right? I feel like they don't have that now. Culture, American culture is just American culture, right? Like, yeah. there's little subsects where you can be like, oh, well, you know, my uncles and them listen to country music heavy, so that's where I get my taste in country music from. But there really are a melting pot. But I feel like because there's such a melting pot, the need to stick out is more prevalent right or the need to fit in is more prevalent like where it's a do weird, i find it's a weird my space? like you want to fit in but still stand, stand out, out as an individual right whereas when we were growing up the overall narrative was just to stand out right like media put us into these boxes right like the cheerleaders the jocks the stoners the the computer geeks, right? The and you and I in high geeks. school were uh, fluid. But but that's okay. So that to my point, that's just the media, right? Like yeah. the media wanted us to think that when we got to high school, this is how it was gonna be, right? But like even when you look at like '80s high schools and stuff like that, they were more divided on like 
racial basis or class basis than they were divided on cultural basis. The most realistic representation of high school I think yeah. that I've seen is Freaks and Geeks. That's heavy. I can't really think of one, right? Because everywhere I look for the longest time, and even still now, you always had like either the token black kid or the token white kid. I was going back and watching A Different World the other day, and when you get to, um, I think it's season two, it's either season one or season two, they have Marissa Tomei as the token white girl at the HBCU. That doesn't even work! <laughs> yes, it does, but she's Italian. Dude, it's the Italian girl. Like, she's got to be somewhat ethnically white. That's right. Weird. But also, though, I think her character was supposed to be from the Midwest, which makes it even funnier, right? Because, like, when you think of white American culture, they want you to think of the flyover states. They want you to think of the Midwest, Minnesota. The Rust Belt. Yeah. It's even funnier that they casted this, you know, I guess, and Marissa Tomei is probably not Italian, but we'll say Mediterranean. Uh, yeah. White woman as somebody from good the flyover states. So my point is, I don't feel like there really is maybe euphoria, right? And that's an extreme. Uh, sure, of course the drug use and stuff is depict depicted in euphoria is an extreme example of high school, but I mean, as far as like actual demographics and representation goes, yeah, that's probably the closest you'll get. And maybe even if you just tone down the drug use and the sex a little, honestly, you, you might end up with the OC. You might, right. Well, without the black people. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> once again, America likes to pretend. I mean, I called out that one, like, like friend's apartment advertisement where it's like, you can come into D.C. and visit the friend's apartment. And it was like three black people in the room. I'm like, that's more black people than were in the entirety of the series. It might be true, right? Like, they weren't just walk-on bits, right? Yeah. See, once again, that talks... The, so, representation matters, right? Because Friends is, like, one of the biggest sitcoms in American history. That sitcom would have you believe that nobody that came in that coffee shop was black. Yeah. <laughs> in New York. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, that... If you really think about it, I, I listened to a podcast, I can't remember which, but, like, that kind of coffee shop has, like, never existed. A sit-down coffee shop? But, like, 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 with, like, that couch, and it felt like super living, living yeah, room Yeah, it was like a lounge coffee shop. Yeah, like, that, that, like, that's never existed. Like, let alone survived financially in Manhattan. Right, like, I could see maybe in, like, the 50s or the 60s, but even then it would be, like, a neat... That's a coffee shop that opened up in the, like, late early 70s, right? It yeah. opened up in the early 70s and it's just always been there because it's it's quaint, it's cute. Gunther works there. That's like the worst customer service you can get. Think about customer service from the 70s, yo. Watch, go back and watch some of those like 70s exploitation movies <laughs> and look at the representation of the service industry back then. So would you say you're good at spotting racism in media? <laughs> I feel like they've gotten better at hiding it. Because you know, objectively now, people look for it way more, and people are looking for any excuse to jump on something that seems racist, sexist, or somehow politically incorrect. Well, Twitter does. Well, I, not just Twitter, but the space that Twitter has created, right? Um, and you know, social media in itself has fostered the ability for people who were minorities to speak up and be heard and to be seen uh, and I think that that is important right um, some of the social justice movement may feel like a bit of overcorrecting but that's like saying you know the sweep to push for electric cars is overcorrecting when it comes to the climate right like we kind of have to overcorrect don't we or else what are we doing this for? Our business, a balance feels like business as usual when it comes to injustices being corrected. It could also be way too heavy handed like we've talked about with How I Met Your Father. I feel like those things feel heavy handed because of what we're used to, right? We're used to hearing based off of the census that white Americans are 70, 77% 
of the American populace when that's just not true, nor do I think it ever really has been, right? I mean, this country was built off of the work of slave labor. Now we're discussing the impact that Asian American slave labor had on building the West, right? Mm -hmm. The overall contribution of Mexican American like, but, immigrants. But, but they were paid. Marginal at best. Listen, the, my point here is, is I don't think we have a full picture of what the identity of this country looks like. And that's why I think the media is important in all of its realms, right? Um, from social media to movies to uh, books, which are, you know, the LGBT community seems to be avid readers and they're having their books banned left and right, right? Like the stories that we tell. I came up with a very nuanced question. Okay. I was hiking yesterday with Periwinkle of Patapsco, right? Ah. And we, he was telling me that, you know, the uh, the railroad bridge, people can't park underneath of it anymore or else you get towed, right? right? It's not a private property thing. It's a liability thing. Because if the bridge collapses and me and him are like, well, it's been there for like 200 years. It's part of the and, reason and why like, it's a liability. That's part of why people think it's a liability. But then we both were like, this is also built at a time when like America cared. That's fair. And then that makes me think the sense of American national unity appears to be stronger back then because it was a more majorly white country. I don't think that was it either. I think it's the propaganda, dude. So the media, right? We've been, we specifically, you and I have been taught that that was a unified America. Right, that when World War II hit this country, right, that all of America stood up together and was like, we're not gonna stand for this as a nation. And I don't think that that's true. I think that that was We weren't taught propaganda. about the red tails in high school. No, we weren't taught about the silver shirts. Right, like there was a whole The Tulsa faction, Massacre. Was there was one. a whole faction of this country that widely and hugely supported the Nazi movement, right? Um, before World War One in this country, the most spoken language other than English was German. Remember, like, we're not taught the fact that we call hot dogs hot dogs. Now, this is also before we subsumed as much of the West as we had, where Spanish speaking would be a lot more prevalent. I, you know, so back to your point, though, I feel like that is part of the media, right? Like, we were taught, like, even our beloved Disney cartoons. Like, Disney got a lot of his funding from doing wartime propaganda. Coca-Cola, a huge piece of American pop culture, right? Like, a staple in American media. Yeah. To look cool, you sit on the hood of a classic hot rod and you drink coca-cola right coke got its big big start from wartime propaganda <laughs> right like if it wasn't for the u.s military coca-cola would not be the international name that it is now if nazis didn't exist neither would captain america Listen, my point here is is that media plays into a lot more than of our identity than I think a lot of people are willing to give it credit for. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about your idea of being cool ends up being a lot of what you empathize and you sympathize with here here in America specifically. I can't speak to the Europeans. They seem to have a different understanding or a different perspective of what the end-all be-all of existence is, but I know here in America right now, you gotta be an influencer, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and in order to be an influencer, you gotta be cool, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and even the last president that we elected, uh, you could say, was King Influencer. Donald's been doing the influencer shit since the 80s, well, yeah. right? He he did the he did He'd the been doing blow since the 80s. He too. did the Kardashian thing before Kim was doing the Kardashian thing. Remember, Donald Trump was the poster child for New York American wealth. That's why he even showed up in one of my favorite movies, Zoolander. Home Alone. 
Yep. He'd been doing this shit for this was the perfect like the 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 perfect storm for him to become president, which is why I I can't remember where I saw this and I'm not gonna take credit for it, but I totally agree with the media is the fourth wing of the government. And that I agree. In, We've talked about this, and I totally agree. That includes journalism. That includes Twitter, Instagram, Nickelodeon, the Disney Channel, ESPN. Right, like anybody in the entertainment influencer spectrum, you, you, they now work for essentially what is the government, right? Because the government can shut down at any point in time. They've shown that you know if they feel like uh, Donald Trump is a hazard, he can get kicked off Twitter. Hi, Ted the Fed. <laughs> Um, uh, that's part of the reason why everybody was so worried about what Elon was going to do if he buys Twitter, right? We'll touch on that tomorrow. However, Twitter was say... part of the Arab Spring, right? So it's not just our government, right? Like, yeah. if it wasn't for Twitter, there might not necessarily have been that uprising in the Middle East that we saw right before we graduated, right? Like, True. it is because of Twitter that the and that what happened over there, they clamped down on social media and shit like that. Like, Egypt has... I just was reading an article about an Egyptian model or actress or something like that who did a photo shoot, and I can't remember if it was abroad or if it was in Egypt, but she posted it to her Instagram, and now she's being persecuted under, like, indecency laws and stuff like that for shit that she was posting on her own social media. You know why? Because... Social media was entirely socialist. <laughs> the people were in control for the most part. Of course, you had your big, you know, tech CEOs and stuff. Zuckerberg, Dorsey. Pulling strings at the helm, right? But for the most part, like, social media was entirely socialist, right? Like, it was something totally run by the user base. Right, and they were able to organize in a way that the government hadn't really like counted for <laughs> beforehand. And when the United States get, I, I'm telling you, dude, go back and look at it. When the United States government watched what happened with the Arab Spring, then all of a sudden our social media started beginning, like becoming more and more like constrained and like streamlined, right? Like. The, or the wild west of the internet as you see it like kind of gets corralled right around the time that the Arab Spring happens um, and that's when YouTube goes big yeah. right like and the MLMs take over so what happened is corporate America stepped in right and was like we're gonna corral this shit for the government mm -hmm. because who controls the government <laughs> <laughs> Who is the biggest adversary to the American people right now? It's not your senators and your governors. No, absolutely not. It's the fucking DuPonts, right? It's the Mercers. It's the Coke NRA. Yeah, like, it's these corporations, right? So they bought the thing that... And, you know, bought by forcing Jack Dorsey to go public with Twitter and stuff like that. Like, yeah, no. And some people will say forcing feels like a bit coercive and aggressive and maybe a bit, like, conspiratorial. But The thing is, I trusted Jack Dorsey. Trusting billionaires is where you fucked up. <laughs> See, but, like, like, we've talked about before, Jack is more likely to do nothing than to do something. And that kinda actually gives me comfort because he only knows he should do something in the most extreme cases. I feel where you're coming from, but that's now, right? Like, there are plenty of people who would argue that Jack has allowed things like neo-Nazis and stuff and uh, some of the big incel shooters and stuff like that I feel like we're very prolific on Twitter beforehand and it's like you know these communities that are allowed to exist um, versus the ones that are challenged some people would feel like that's an argument to him doing something right like where's the money um, and the money is in 
who can tell the most provocative story? And that's where we get to media being so important. Like I said, at the end of the day, if you can't get anybody interested in the story you're telling in the case of America, you know, you got to make it cool, right? If you can't get anybody interested in that story, then no one's going to hear the message. I would like to say the biggest takeaway from this interview about my co-host to quote the great Kung Fu Kenny. Like, I don't understand Kendrick Lamar because you wonder how I can talk about money, hoes, clothes, God, and history all in the same sentence. You know what all them things have in common? Only half of the truth, if you tell it. See, I spent 23 years on this earth searching for answers. Till one day I realized I had to come up with my own. I'm not on the outside looking in. I'm not on the inside looking out. You're in the dead fucking center looking around. I feel like that's accurate. I feel like that's the only way to consume media nowadays. Hopefully, Professor, you listen this long because uh, you're either A, pissed that I ran over, or B, like, wow, these guys are really interesting. <laughs> well, hopefully you can trim some of the fat out of this and cut it down to a reasonable amount of time. But uh, yeah, no, thanks for uh, choosing me for your interview. Yep. Like I said, this is Devon Cannon, a.k.a. Doc, co-host of The Flood with Doc and Ziggy. Check it out sometime. At the flood pot on everything. And that's on everything. On everything. <laughs> Alright, we're done. Cut! Look, it's a flood. It's a flood. It's flooding. Get away. Quick, we need to get to higher ground. Open the floodgates.